Every week it changes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we praise you. And Lord, as was prayed earlier, I pray that you take my mouth and make it your own. That everything in your will be done this morning. Father, nothing outside of your will at all. We trust you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now turn to the book of Acts. It's interesting because uh, I, I, I have this sneaking and, uh, expectation after worship that God's going to take us a little bit different direction, but I want to start here. And uh, I want you to turn to chapter 12, but I want to mention just just to, because most of 11 is, is what happened in chapter 10. It was kind of a recap. But I, I want to give you an idea of what's going on at this time, right? Okay, in the book of Acts, the, the church had begun, Pentecost happened, this, this humongous growth rate, right? On that, that first day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to know the Lord right away. And then shortly after that, another 5,000. And, and just, just this amazing beginning to the church. Now recognize that this is something that did, was not in, in existence before. Okay, in the Word of God in the Old Testament, there was the law. There was a different way to do things. That's why when Jesus came, there was so much resistance. Because the law also tended toward the depravity of man, tended toward the, the, having the strength in that law, using it for your own gain, which is what the Pharisees did. You know, on the outside, they looked the part, right? Jesus said, as a matter of fact, when you fast, you know, go wash your face. Put on clean clothes. Don't look like you're fasting. But that was the heart of the Pharisees to make everything on the outside look like God was doing something. And yet it didn't affect the heart, didn't affect the inside. That's what the law did. So, so recognize what's happening here. When Jesus came, he changed all of that. Now, he didn't change the law. Don't get me wrong. He said he fulfilled the law. He didn't change even the requirements of holiness, the requirements of obedience. He didn't change any of that. What he did was he made it possible for us to do it. That's what he did in coming and completing the law as a man. He completed what needed to happen so that we could have fellowship with the Father. That's where relationship was born. That's where relationship came into play. So recognize what's going on here. The world is really in two levels from the, the perspective of these disciples, of the, now these apostles. It, it's, it's the religious system who literally crucified their Savior, but then it's also the political system. The political system that, 
that permeated religious system, but also on its own. They were under Roman rule, right? They were under the rule of the political system as well. So, so what's going on here is, is all of that. Now, recognize the last time we spoke about Acts, I, I think maybe three weeks ago or whatever it was, um, was when Peter had gone to, he saw this vision of the four corners of this sheet being lowered down with all these unclean animals in it, and Jesus saying, eat. And Peter saying, no, which is astounding anyways. But he said, no, three times, and Jesus said, yes, do not call unclean what I've made clean. And then immediately he told Peter to go to Cornelius' house, right, who was the centurion in charge of of a group of people and his whole family had gathered because an angel had come to the centurion and said, go, go request Peter. He's going to tell you how to be saved. And Peter came there. If you remember what happened, Peter came there and not, he barely started talking. It wasn't even that he, he had this great conference and they, they went through three days of, of how to live a better life and, and how, to, how to have God's blessing on your life. And at the end of the three days, they had an altar call and everybody got saved and it was awesome. No. It says in the Word of God, Peter had just started speaking. And the power of the Holy Spirit was so strong that what happened in Pentecost there happened at that centurion's home with his entire family. Now recognize this is probably a lot of people because his family was not just his family. A centurion leader, part of their family is the men they lead and their families. So this is probably a fairly large group of people. I would believe, tend to believe larger than what was at Pentecost. And so he began to speak and the Holy Spirit fell. And to make a long story short, they all gave their lives to Jesus Christ. It said the entire household was saved that day. So that's what Peter's coming from in this. That's, that's what's going on in this area, in, in Jerusalem, in the, in the areas around there. And, and, and just the growth and the power of the Holy Spirit was something unheard of. Something unrecognized by certainly the religious system or the political system. So that, that's what's going on. And Peter, after that happens, he comes back and, and immediately... Those other apostles were, why did you go there with those men? They're unclean and blah, blah, blah. So Peter goes, and that's why we're not going to go through chapter 11, because Peter goes through and he re-explains everything. And when he explained that it was from Jesus Christ, then they're they're good with that, which is awesome. I hope they would be. (laughs) And then just the latter latter part of... uh, of chapter 11, it talks a little bit about the church at Antioch. It gives a, a prophecy, which I find very interesting because it's not just the 12 apostles that are being gifted, that are given these gifts. It wasn't just them, those 12. It was all that the Holy Spirit had fallen on. You know, I, I, I would love to have, it doesn't, doesn't go on with the centurion's uh, story, but I would love, I can't wait to get to heaven to hear the rest of his story. 
Can you imagine? Because he wasn't in the religious system. He was in the political system. So you can imagine, first of all, what kind of resistance he experienced. But I can imagine his stories had to be phenomenal, had to be amazing. So really what I want to get to is chapter 12. And we're going to begin reading through this. Because what the Lord showed me last night and this morning in this was that this is a picture of where we're at. This is a picture of Ignition Church. This is a picture of what we go through and fight and deal with every day. We just need to recognize it as such. Let's, let's, uh, let's just begin at verse 1, chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on someone who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Now recognize that the James here is, is the James who was one of the first four called. If you recall, when the disciples were called, it was James and John. They were brothers. Peter and Andrew. They were brothers and they worked with them. So this is one of the first disciples that was called. Herod had arrested him and killed him, and it, it made the people happy. Now, what people do you think that is? It's the religious system, right? It's those who have been fighting against Jesus Christ the entire time. Verse 4, And when he had seized him, speaking of Peter, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. See, he was intending to kill him as well, because he got such a good reception in killing James. Now, I don't know how many is in a squad. I would imagine a squad perhaps is between five and ten. I don't really think that, is it four? Okay then. I would imagine a squad is four people. Okay, so you've got, get, get this though, whether, whether it was four people or not, you've got 16 people watching this one guy. What does that tell you? That tells you that the enemy and certainly the political system through here was afraid of what Jesus Christ was doing. Afraid of what was spreading. They had not seen this before. How do people come into this knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ and lives change so fast? They weren't used to that. And when you're in a place of power and you fight and scratch to keep that power with everything you can, that is a threat to you. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. It not only was a threat to the religious system, but Jesus Christ in the spread of his word was a threat to the political system. It was a threat to, to Herod, who was part of both, if you will. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I want that to sink in a second. Okay, This is a church 
that's limited. This is a church that didn't have machine guns and tanks and airplanes. and I mean, they had no army. They couldn't go and break him out of prison. They couldn't conquer physically to relieve him from what Herod was about to do. They all knew. They saw what happened to James. They all knew what was about to happen. He wanted to take Peter's life to show his own power to please the religious system. And also, you'll see later, to fill his pride, which really kind of pays off for him in a bad way a little bit later. So the church's response is prayer. The church's response is to drop to their knees because they knew that's where the power was. They knew that their Lord had the power to do anything. And so that's what they prayed. They prayed in faith. (laughs) I love this story. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, so this is the night before he is going to be killed, right? Or, or perhaps before that evening, but it was on that very day. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. In other words, he is secure, right? He's not going anywhere. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Now, when he struck him, I'm I'm not sure he actually, like, smacked him. He's just trying to wake him up, right? (laughs) Yeah, poking him with his sword, maybe. No. No, he he wakes him up and he says, Get up. Get up. And so, so Peter's reaction, he stands up and the chains just fall off. Right? Picture this in your mind. Picture like you are Peter. And understand what's going on here. If you don't do that, you won't recognize the power. It will be simple knowledge to you. Don't let this be knowledge. Let this come across as the power of God to you. So he says, get up quickly. Chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. He did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. I love this next statement. He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. Now for those of you that have experienced this, you understand that statement. I understand that statement, what he means where, was this real? Or was it not? Was I there? Or was I not? If you haven't experienced that, that it, it, it's kind of hard to, to get that in your mind. Like, well, certainly you would know. But please understand that he's thinking, he's feeling this happening, but there is a lack in his faith to recognize that it's happening. Okay? But then he figures it out here pretty quick. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord. 
And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. See, this was the point of power. This was where the people were on their knees, going after the Lord's will. This is where God met them and listened to their prayers. They were before the throne. They were pleading for their brother. And poor Rhoda. <laughs> took, her, took her a minute to figure it out. Right, uh, and when he had knocked at the door, verse 13, and when he had knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, now notice she didn't automatically open the door. Now there's a reason for that. Because James was just killed. Peter was arrested. They were all being hunted. So she's not just going to hear a knock. Yes, hello. No. She's not going to just automatically open that door. So what she hears over the gate is Peter's voice. She recognizes Peter's voice and she's so excited that she leaves. <laughs> I can't say I wouldn't, I, I'd probably do the same thing. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is an angel. It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> you can imagine Peter. Hey, I just got out of this place. You guys need to hurry up. <laughs> you know, somebody could come around the corner at any time. Please, please let me in. Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. That's obviously a different James. This is James, the brother of Jesus, because the other James that was the disciple was killed. So he said, said, explain these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. You can imagine I mean, these guys knew their life is on the line. They just lost what they were in charge of, and they, they knew how that was going to turn out. You can imagine how they were, they were thinking, what they were feeling. After Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and spent time there. Those people that were praying, they prayed with expectation, they prayed with earnest. They prayed knowing that their God, Jesus Christ, and the Father, through the Holy Spirit, can do anything that he wanted to do. They were not praying in lack of faith, 
They were praying in full faith. But yet they were surprised. They were surprised. How often do we pray knowing God can do something without declaring that he will do something? See, he tells us many times his will. And when we pray his will and we pray declaring that will will be done, there's a difference in that power of prayer. See, when you just say, Lord, I, I just, I know that you can do this and, and I trust you and I want you to do this. I, I give you my, my life and, and your will be done. And by the way, that's not a bad prayer. Praying for his will. But see, from a standpoint of faith, there's a difference saying, Lord, I want your will to be done. Here is what you have stated your will is. Isaiah 43, let me remind you what you said your will is. I declare it to be so. I declare it to be true. I state that in the prayer because I have faith in your power, Father. I have faith in your power. I have faith in your love for me. I have faith in your love for your children. That's what they believed. And yet, isn't it funny, and I don't mean in a bad way, because we're the same way. Isn't it funny when he answers that prayer? And it's like, oh, that's so awesome. He, he did it. He did it. Here, let him in. Shh, people can hear. Get him in here. Tell us how you got out. This is a picture of faith. It's a picture of answered prayer. It's a picture of warfare. Understand that. They were about to kill him. They had just killed James, John's brother. And they were about to kill Peter. And so this was an answer in that warfare. That's why it's a picture of Ignition Church. That's why it's a picture of what's going on right now. Because see, when we see something that the Lord has said needs to happen, when we recognize His will, we go to our knees. This is a praying church. This will always be a praying church. I don't care what we develop in programs. Let it be said, let it be done that we will never be a church of programs. If all we did on Sunday morning and Tuesday night is come here, worship, and pray, then God will spread his power. He will spread his power. But, but in the midst of this, recognize there's opposition. Recognize there's opposition that tries to manipulate opposite of what you're trying to do. But do you see, every point of opposition is an opportunity for the church to rise up and see a miracle. It is. On, on a global scale, we're certainly seeing that. For over a year now, we have had this prayer call every night. 
except for a couple of months in the, in the summertime. But we do it every night for the purpose of coming before the Lord, asking for this government to be cleansed, asking for transparency. Now, if you've been on the prayer call, you know how we pray that. Now, God, I really love my country. And, you know, if, it, if it's your will, you know, would, would you kind of just, you know, bring a transparency here and, and hold them accountable here? And no, that's not what God wants. That's not what he said to do. What we yeah, I'd be asleep too. I'd be like, hello, is it over? Okay. That's not what happens. We pray with authority. We pray with expectation. Why? Because he wants us to. That is the currency that's required, that faith that's required for him to do his very will. So you notice when you're on this prayer call and we're praying for something to happen, so many times we see it the very next day. We're seeing it every day now. We've been praying for transparency in this government. We've been praying that accountability be there for those who are found out to do wrong. Mark my words, that's coming. This government is about to be turned upside down. This government is going to be made so transparent because sin will find you out. That is God's word. That is God's declaration. That is His promise. And as soon as the church, His bride, starts holding Him to that, it will happen. And it is happening. So you watch over the course of the next few months, over the course of the next year, the next couple of years, things are going to come out that you never expected. And by the way, it's not going to be what's happening now. It's going to be what's happened over the last 30 years. Because before you can clean and, and bandage and have a wound healed, it has to be cleaned out. You have to start with something fresh. You ever get a cut? When you were a kid, you walk home, and I, I remember, I don't know what brought this story to my mind, but <laughs> I was crazy a little bit as a kid. No. And, and here, here I was, I, I don't remember how old I was. I think I was maybe, maybe, I don't know, how old are you? I, I might have been five or six. But I was old enough to ride a bike. I remember that because I had this bike. And right behind our house were, was this whole like construction area, and they had these big hills. Now, they were big when you were five. I don't know what they like actually were, but, but all the kids I hung around were like 10 and 11 years old. That's, that can be good sometimes. It can be really bad sometimes, especially if you want to impress them. Don't impress the older kids. I mean, just give you that piece of advice. We're sitting at the top of the hill, and, and it had this jump at the bottom, and it looked okay to me. And it didn't even dawn on me that none of them were going off it. They just told me I should. And I'm thinking, okay. yeah, pretty much they'll think I'm cool. I I'm going to do this. And so sure enough, I, get, I got going so fast. So fast that, you know, you ever pedal so fast or go downhill so fast that your feet can't stay on the pedals anymore? It's like going too fast and then you're like, 
just holding on to this thing. Okay, it wasn't a jump. It was more like a wall. Okay, it's one of those jumps. It wasn't like this nice sloping thing and you fly and, you know, the picture, you're like that. It was more like come down and the bike stopped. I didn't. And I, boom, and I'm flying. And I, I, I just heard them say, I'm not doing that. And I'm thinking, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm in a, I, I don't know, I left my bike there. I ran home. I'm crying, running home. I'm thinking I'm bleeding all over the place and everything else. And, and, and so, so what, is a, what does a good mom do? Well, I don't know if you guys, you young people don't know what methylate is. Okay, methylate was this red stuff that goes in an open wound that makes it worse. It makes it worse. And, and what's worse is it looks red like it's all bloody. Well, you know, we've got to clean that out. Why? I don't want to clean it out. I'm already hurt. You're going to hurt me worse. But see, a good mother knows all that stuff has to be cleaned out. All that dirt, all that grime, everything that got in there has to come out before it can heal. That's the tough part. The healing isn't the tough part. It's the scraping. It's the getting it out. It's the cleansing. So oftentimes when, when in our lives, when we're seeking a healing from Christ, and, and not just a physical healing, but an emotional healing. He says, I gotta get the stuff out first. See, I gotta, I gotta start from a, from a place where that influence cannot infect you. Cause if you close up a wound before it's cleaned out, what happens? It gets infected. Because there's stuff there that's not supposed to be there. And now all of a sudden there's an entry point in your body where it can get other places in your body. So it has to be cleaned out. Do you know that that's love? My mother, now I'm pretty sure she loves me. I don't know at the time, I wondered. She did that out of love. She cleaned it out out of love. She used that horrible stuff, methylate. Out of love. And I, and I don't even think it's on the market anymore because I'm pretty sure it was abusive. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it in years. Otherwise, I'd have used it on my kids just to get them back. <laughs> Did I say that online? I shouldn't have said that online. We're going to have to re- rewind that. <laughs> you can't rewind live, can you? Oh, well. But see, it has to be cleaned out in your life when, when you want to move forward with the Lord, with relationship. I have so, so many times I have people come and say to me, how, how do I really have a relationship with the Lord? You know, I can learn about him. I can understand, you know, what the word of God says about him. But, but there's something different in what you say. There's something different I see in your life. And so... What it is, is really letting the pages of his word come alive 
and be relationship to you. Not just the knowledge of it. So when you, when you go to him and say, I really want relationship with you and I want to draw closer to you and, and just like David prayed in the Psalms, show me anything that is sin in my life that keeps me from you and I will get rid of it. When you say that to the Lord, he begins to clean out the wounds. Clean out and disinfect. And just like a real wound, that could be a painful process. But you have to keep your eye on what's really going on. What would it be worth to you if you knew you had the opportunity to be best friends? And, and I mean in reality. Let's, let's say Jesus Christ were here physically. And you could be best friends with him. What would that be worth to you? I mean, if you know he's God, it'd be worth everything. It'd be worth absolutely everything. But see, the reality is, that is possible. It is what he wants. And it is something you can have right now. But it takes effort. It takes time. Building a relationship with him is an ongoing process. And I know so many of you that, that I talk with all the time are in this process. You love him. You want him. And you're trusting that what he's doing in your life is not for your bad, but for your good. Sometimes that's hard to figure out. You know, you, you look at some things in your life. I know, I know Alexis... She's dealt with stomach issues for a couple of years now. Carson has dealt with stomach issues, digestional tract issues for seven years now. Others have dealt with these issues that seem like they go on forever. Don't confuse situation with a cleaning out of a wound. Okay? Don't confuse that because then you could say that Peter, and even more so James, who was killed, must not have been in God's will. Because something horrible happened to them. Now, by the way, don't think with Peter that it was just a cakewalk because he got out of there. No, part of going to prison was they were beaten. He was probably beaten. It doesn't say it, although he was beaten several times. So, so does that mean he wasn't in God's will because something bad happened to him? Does that mean James wasn't in God's will because he was killed for the gospel? No. And that's a tough one to wrap your brain around. And the only thing that I can offer you, the only thing I can tell you, is their perspective was not here on this earth. See, their perspective was already with Jesus. And his kingdom. See, when we're to seek Jesus Christ, we're to seek him in his kingdom. We're to recognize that the reality that's around us is not the real reality. So oftentimes when we go through things individually, 
And we go through things even as a church. We have to assess. We have to go before the Lord and ask. Is this something that is a wound being cleaned out? Or is this something that is part of the warfare? And it's important to keep those separate. Because it can work the other way too. God could be trying to clean something out in your life and you just keep saying, well, this is just warfare. And not recognizing and continuing to fight that cleaning. To fight from resisting God's will. Man, but the Lord will show you. The Lord will show you. And he shows you through that relationship. When you seek him, when you go after him, I want you to turn... I knew God would do this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You all know this chapter. Sometimes it can be difficult to figure out, is God doing it for this reason because there's sin in my life? Or, or, or an unwilling, I'm not even going to say sin necessarily, because oftentimes sin is something easy to understand, easy to recognize. But sometimes things happen in our life for other reasons, like he's building our faith, and there's not yet enough faith there for him to be able to move on, because in that next phase, there needs to be a level of faith already established. So how do, how do we recognize that? How do we even even understand and, and, and deal with that, or do we think that it's automatically warfare? And God gives a very simple answer. And it also happens to be the very thing that Satan cannot fight against, and that's love. You know, I... I when we started dealing with witchcraft... It was amazing to me because my, my initial, you, you have to understand, my initial reaction to everything is right here, right? I mean, I don't know about you, that, that's just how I, that's, that's been my reaction. I won't let him get away with that. You know, or I, when I was a kid in school, I, it used to drive me insane, the people who were being bullied. Part of it was because I was bullied when I was real little. But standing up for those who were bullied, it was one of these. Right? I'm going to stand up for them. I'm going to fight. I'm going to stand in the gap in fighting and physically going against. And so I had the same reaction with witchcraft when, when I knew that it was coming against us in a heavy way. And the Lord changed my perspective on that. He changed my perspective for two reasons. One, because he loves everybody. He loves those people that are so twisted and turned from him. Remember what he said? He said, I would rather you be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. I think they definitely qualify for the cold. Right? He loves them. That was the first thing I had to wrap my brain around. 
But then the second thing he taught me was the very power that comes against them is the one thing that Satan does not understand, and that's love. And not that he doesn't try to understand it. I think he does try to understand it, to be able to fight against it. But he was not created for love. It says in the Word of God that, that all the angels were created for servanthood, and yet Men and women were created for fellowship, created for love. So when we use this idea of love, of loving the same way Jesus loves everybody, because he died for all, he didn't die selective, he died for everyone, gave everyone the same opportunity to accept him. When we choose this way of love, we choose the most powerful Weapon in the world. Let's read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, or if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just making a bunch of noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, if I make all the sacrifice that I can possibly make, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. You know what that reminds me of? You know, I, I, I see him all the time on different things, but but like the Buddhist monks, you know, that that for them going up to a mountain in a in a in a monk temple where they don't talk to each other for fifteen years or whatever. You know, and, and, and they they literally give up everything. Everything. Yeah, shame on us. Good night. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to be a monk. <laughs> but see, what would change in their lives if they were to experience love? Love's why Jesus came. Love's why we were created. So what is love? Verse 7. Love bears all things. Now, I, I want you to look into your own life here. As we begin to look at what love really is and what love does, look at it through your own perspective. Now this is not, don't, don't equate love with a feeling. It's really important. Because see, Satan does know that, and that's what he, he tells the world love is. Well, love's a feeling. If you feel love, then that's love. Well, no. Love can be lust. Love can be attachment. Love can be just the fact that you don't want to be by yourself. Those things are not love. Because love bears all things, verse 7. It believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Now, what do you think it means when it says believes all things? doesn't mean a core belief that, well, I just believe in everything and the, the atmosphere is universal and, you know, you have your own truth, I have my truth. It's 
not what it's talking about. It means benefit of the doubt. It means when I'm dealing with somebody and they're telling me a story of something, my initial reaction, apart from you know, proof otherwise, my initial reaction, if I have love for them, is to believe. I believe. When, when, and when, you, when you become parents, this is something that's placed into practice right away. Right? When, you, when your initial reaction is to believe, even though, yeah, I know this seems like something you would do, you know, talking, talking to your kids or something, but you know what, I'm, I'm going to trust you unless it's proven otherwise. Love believes. Love wants to believe. It endures all things. Love never ends. Then Paul here, the writer of 1 Corinthians, he says, all these other fantastic things that have been going on in the church, all those things will end. says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. By the way, let me sidetrack here just for a minute and say, because this, this passage is so misused, I know because I did it. Using it to say that the gifts were not for today. Saying that, well, when the perfect comes, and the perfect, of course, is the completed word of God. The canonized word of God that happened in a little bit before 8300, and the perfect already came. Okay, I'm sorry, we're going through this. Put on your common sense hats for just a second. What have we been talking about in the previous six verses? Anyone? Love. We've been talking about love. So is the canon perfect love? Who is perfect love? Jesus. Wait, you mean to tell me Jesus is going to come again? Okay, ding, 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 light bulb's going off. Maybe that's what that means. That's exactly what that means. I'm trying to tell Shannon because she doesn't know. <laughs> See, when the perfect comes, is that who is perfect love? He comes as an example of that perfect love to us. Verse 11, then Paul here is saying, look, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child when I became a man. I gave up childish ways. He's saying at some point, at some point in your Christian walk, at some point in pursuing this relationship with Jesus Christ, you give up that selfishness. You give up what you want because you become an adult. You begin to recognize what the truth is. The truth is true love is the most important thing. And that who is perfect love, representing that perfect love, who is Jesus Christ, is the source of all of that. So if he doesn't become everything that you are hungry for in life, then what Paul's saying here is, stop being a child. 
It's time to grow up. It's time to recognize what you have access to. You know, we spend so much time talking about our lack. We spend so much time in our, in our lives talking about what we don't have or what we, what we want to have and, and it's so hard to attain. Or this and that and, and, and the world takes that and just puts it in a nice little ball and says, well, you're a, you're a half empty guy. Right? The glass is half empty. That's just kind of your perspective. But it's, it's the truth with everybody. We notice our lack because we live in a world of lack. When love is the most important thing, and we are not bringing that love that is purely through Jesus Christ into our life and building a relationship with Him, then there is a hole that we will never fill. Now we can feel parts of that. You know, Ignition is really good at this. We love each other. As we're supposed to. We're supposed to love each other. Jesus said, the two top things you can do is love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your might, all your soul, everything that you have. Love Him, but then love each other like you love yourselves. Those two things, if you do that, you will live well. So we're good at loving each other. And that's a good thing. I don't say that to criticize. Just the opposite. If you're not doing it, do it. We need to love each other. But understand that if you're receiving that love and you're in the midst of that love and you do not have that coming from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are literally missing the source. You're missing the source. Don't confuse the love of everybody else with the love that Jesus can give you directly in relationship with Him. I mean, it'll blow you away. And, and I'll tell you what happens. When you start building that relationship with the Lord, something very profound happens. Now all of a sudden, instead of receiving this love from everybody else and feeling good about that love, all of a sudden you're pouring it out. All of a sudden you're pouring it back to people. You're pouring it to new people. You're pouring it on people that don't know, that don't have Jesus Christ, or that don't know there's relationship with Him and confidence with Him. See, love is confidence. If you know you're loved by somebody, truly loved, you have confidence in that relationship. I know my wife loves me. I mean, seriously. (laughs) I have confidence that she loves me. Why? Because she tells me? No. And that helps. But it's because she shows me. She shows me. I have confidence in the fact that she loves me. But just because Jesus Christ is not physically right here does not mean it's any different with him. See, I have confidence that Jesus Christ loves me. Not just because I fall into a mold. 
well, yeah, and I accepted him as Savior, and, and I'm going after him, and I love him, and, and so I fall into this mold that Jesus Christ loves me. No. I know he loves me because he has proven it. The Father gave his only Son to die on the cross for me. He did it for all of you, but if it was just me, he would have still done it for just me. The confidence that that builds, knowing he loves me, then I can take that one step further and say that when I say, I want your will, then I can be confident that he's taking me down a path that he wants. See, I could never have been a part of this ministry if I hadn't come to that point of trust. And many of you are the same way in your own lives. You couldn't have come to the place that you are right now with Jesus Christ if you didn't come to the pure knowledge that he loves you, period. And no matter what happens on this earth, I know he loves me. I know he wants the best for me. I know my life is not here, just like Paul said. It would be better to be with him. I'm here simply for you. That's what Paul said. Because Paul's desire was to already be with Jesus. But there was a plan for his life here. So don't take circumstances on this earth, in this world, to say where you're at. You know, well, I I just lost my job. Or, I just had this happen. I just had that happen. You know, all of a sudden I'm having these difficulties physically. Don't use that as evidence to say that you're not in his will. You have to analyze it. Because it could be that the wound needs to be cleaned out. But it could also be that the Lord has a plan. Now, I'm not saying this is your plan, but look at what happened to James. See, James was the one that was killed. James was the one probably beheaded because he was killed with the sword, and that's how they did it. You know, did did something fail in his life because he died? Well, if you believe that, then you have to believe that something failed in Jesus' life because he was sacrificed. And that's just not the case. Because this world does not hold the importance that the next world does. That's what we've got to wrap our brains around. And it all comes through this idea of love. Verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide, but these three. But the greatest of these is love. See, what Paul is saying is in this life we're not going to have all the answers. We look in a mirror dimly right now. We look at our circumstances through a particular human perspective. We cannot see clearly 
Because we don't know the end from the beginning like God does. We can only see with the eyes, the human eyes that we have, the rest of its faith. We trust in what he's doing. He said, one day you will see clearly. When? When the perfect comes. Now, by the way, that's, that's another reason why that doesn't mean the canon. Because I don't think men see any clearly now than they did in 290 A.D., you know, as a matter of fact, I think times are probably even more confusing now. So, so the perfect is Jesus Christ. One day we will see perfectly. One day we will see everything without a haze in front of it. Where we do not have to believe just in faith because we will be with him literally. But until that time, he said, grow up. Grow up. Trust in what he's doing. Don't look at your own situation and take control yourselves and say, I just need to bandage this up and, 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 and just move forward because I know what's best for me. He's saying, let me clean out the wound. Trust me. I know what needs to be there, Jesus says. If you trust him with your life, Trust him with your life. If you trust him with his will and say you want his will, then say what you mean and mean what you say. Say, if I want your will, then let him do his will. He'll show you. I guarantee you one thing, though. It won't be the easy path. Jesus promised that. It'll be the hard path. I want to go back to Acts and just finish up. Because I want to point this out. I wanted to point it out earlier, but it, it, it really needed to be after this detour. See, oftentimes, when we go our own way in our own path, especially if, if we know Christ, God keeps trying to bring us to a point of relationship. That's his whole goal, is fellowship with us. You ever think about that? What does God get out of this whole creation of man? I mean, think about it. What's he got so far? A whole bunch of trouble. 6,000 years of, of trouble. I mean, really. He gets love, though, because that's what he wanted. He wanted what he had in the garden. That was his initial perfect creation. And what was it said that he did? He, in, in the cool of the day, he walked. He walked with Adam and Eve. That's what he enjoyed. He enjoyed that fellowship. You know, and, and it's not about, I, I, I wish I could give you a picture of relationship with Jesus Christ and what that really looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. Does that mean that, you know, three times a day or, you know, half an hour a day every morning I'm on my knees, I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying, Lord, I've got my list of things to pray for and I'm doing this and doing that, and I'm trying to not do anything wrong. And it, That's tiring. Good luck with that. That's how I lived my life for 40 years. And yet, that's not what Jesus wanted. Why? Because he knew he was the truth. He was the love. 
He was the hope. And if he could get you just to walk with him in the garden, then you would experience that relationship with him. You would experience that it's more real than any relationship you could ever have. More profound that you could count on than any other relationship that you think you could count on. He just wants to walk with you in the garden. Which means he wants to be a part of everything in your life. Have you ever tried that? I do it all the time. When, I, when I'm working on my shed, shed that kind of became something bigger. <laughs> shed Mahal, yeah. When, when I work on the shed, I, I, I'm talking with the Lord. You know, so many times, especially now that I'm up on the roof, and I, I'm not a roof guy. I have a harness and everything. I know I'm not going to die, and yet I'm still like this, right? So I'm up on the, the thing, and I'm reaching out, and, and it's about a 22-foot drop or whatever, and i got to get right to the edge. And, and I'm, like, I'm like, well, Lord, you got to help me with this one. Give me confidence or whatever. And, and just talking back and forth. Include him in everything. Talk with him like he's your friend. Include him in your studies. We have so many young people here that are in school or college. Include him in your studies. Lord, I know I studied this part, but I really need you to help me remember. What did she say? Just talk to him. He wants to be a part of everything in your life. He wants to be a part of your work. He wants to be a part of your family. He just wants to walk with you in the garden. And so often, the church, the overall church, just wants to make it into something else, something that we could control. Well, when we control things, things get messy. They become a problem. They certainly did for Herod. Let's look at what happened to him at the end here as I close. Back Acts chapter 12, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. In other words, this, this group of people came to him because they needed food and they needed that relationship to be a good one. <clears throat> on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last, which, by the way, was prophesied of him, that he would be eaten by worms. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. I point this out because when we try to take things into our own hands, there are consequences. Now, that's extreme. <laughs> In fact, the one thing God hates is when something or someone else is worshipped aside from him. And just if you don't believe that, just just go... Just start in Genesis and go to the end of Deuteronomy. Yeah, 
I, I know the young people. You're in Deuteronomy now? We're actually in Judges now. In Judges now, okay. That whole time, Jesus says, you know, do all these things, and I hate it. But if you want something that will bring judgment down on your life faster than anything else, it is worshiping somebody else aside from me. That's what Herod did. And not, not any faster did he experience that elation that they were worshiping him, calling him a god, than he was dead. He was dead because God will not put up with that. Now, I'm not going to make the, the correlation of the idols that we put in our lives. Because there's, there's a little bit of difference. I'm not talking about, well, you know, I just, I just love music, man. And music's just everything to me, man. And, you know, it's not that we worship that music. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But we do put things in priority before God. And there's a danger there. Why is there a danger? Because it takes us away from relationship with him. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I get the reasons. I get the reasons because oftentimes we, we, our lives get to a point where, where we have no control and we need some semblance of control. I get that. You know, I'm working, I'm working three jobs and, and I'm doing this and doing that and trying to do the church stuff and, and, and I just got, everything's going nuts. So we just grasp for some form of control in it. And I get that, that's very natural. But instead, why don't we look back and understand that we asked for God's will in our lives and we wanted relationship with him. And so sometimes he cleans out the stuff we don't see. Like when you clean out a wound, you see all the dirt. What you don't see is the bacteria. That's why you got to use methylate. Right? It kills all that bacteria that you don't see. Sometimes when we're going through things that we can't explain, we don't understand, we don't know how to deal with, it's because God's killing the things that we don't see. So we've got to trust him. Keep our eyes on him, just like Peter walking out on the boat. Keep your eyes on me, Jesus said. And as long as you do, you'll be okay. And, and Peter did for a while and then fell. I always wondered at the end when Jesus rose from the grave and he was, he was cooking the fish on, on the, the thing and Peter was about 100 yards out and he knew it was Jesus and he just dove in the boat or dove out of the boat and swam to Jesus. He already learned the lesson. Why didn't he say, hey, can I run? I'll keep my eyes on you this time, but, but just let me run on the water so I can get to you faster because it had to take him a while to swim. He was in a robe. You ever try and swim in a robe? Yeah, it probably is tough. But the point is, there are things that are going to have to come in your life that are going to be this difficulty. Don't assume. Don't assume if you're hungry and you're going after God, do not assume that it is a bad thing that's happening. It might be just God spraying methylate on an open wound and just needing to clean out things that we don't see there. So trust Him in it. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and we praise you. Almighty God, we just say our yes to exactly what you want. Our yes to your will. As a church, as Ignition Church, we pray your will be done. We thank you, God, that you have simply told us to love you and love each other. That we're not responsible for doing everything else. But God, I pray that you take that to a personal level with each person here this morning. That if we love you, and we love each other, and we pour out this love, and we're obedient to it, we don't have to worry about the other things. We don't have to control everything in our life. But God, help us to trust when we're not in control of anything in our life, how to live in that. Because that's, that's a tough faith place to be, but it's exactly where you want us to be. So I pray your grace over everybody here this morning. I pray that your word has penetrated hearts to trusting you more. And if nothing else, God, just to seek you in the garden, being able to walk with you in the garden. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You heard a word from the Lord today. Um, Greg has me share what the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart and has me come up afterwards. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, don't add anything. But it's time to make some decisions today. And I need either Shannon or Josh to just play a little soft anything on the guitar, if you would, wouldn't mind, please. It is time to break camp, okay, in Deuteronomy, chapter 1, I think, 1 or 2, and enter and go and occupy the land. Yeah. It is time. Yeah. There's no more going around the mountain. Some of us are going around the mountain. And... It's time to just say, okay, I'm not sure maybe what this means. I'm not sure what this looks like, this relationship thing, Jesus. I know I've asked you into my heart, but what does it look like? When Greg said, it's hard to describe. But I just want it. And I want to take the step to seek it and receive it and begin to include him in everything. And then let the Holy Spirit just take, take you over. So I don't care if you sit or you stand, but I want us to just close out, close our eyes because shutting out the peripheral world around us in that place of your eyes closed, I want you to begin to ask the Lord, God, what, what do I need to do to draw you in closer? My, my ways are not working. 
And the times that they are, it doesn't last long because I just can't manufacture it in my own strength. I need your will. I need your plan. People are going to let me down. We have a close ignition family here. But guess what? You're not going to receive the love that you want from your ignition family. I have a great marriage and there is nothing close that how Greg could fulfill me in my love compared to God. He will never be able to be the husband to me that God wants to be. So we don't want to go around the mountain again with just holding on to all these things that, well, I've got my friends and I've, I've got, I've got God squad. I, I can put something on God squad and I've got, I've got this person I can call and, and I know there's always Tuesday night again. We can come and be together. And, and you're just hanging on for dear life from service to service. And Jesus is like, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm right there. I'm right there next to you. I want you to breathe in my spirit and then breathe out all the fullness of God that I have for you. I want to be there with your next choice of, of, of food and sleep and decisions for what to wear and, and what to do. And I just want to be included in everything because I love you so much. God loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to stay there and not take the land and occupy where he has called us to be. And I know in this church, I know God has brought you here because you want more. You want more. Some of you are on the precipice of stepping into a new level of of the promised land, of, of the calling and destiny for your life. But you have, like Greg said, these wounds that just need to be cleaned out. And so today, you just got to say, God, I'm letting go. I'm just letting go. I don't know what that means, God. But I got to let go because I got to just let you take over. If you would say today, God, I am going to take a bold step of declaration of my life. To say, God, I want you to take full control. I don't care if my ignition family sees me or doesn't see me. Because at the end of the day, it's just you and it's just me. And I want to give you my full yes in my life. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about salvation. If you're not saved, that can be what your declaration is first. If you've not asked Jesus to come into your life, then that's your declaration. Because you got to start there. But some of you... Today is the day when you got to take that bold stand and say, God, it might only even be just one area where you're just, it's just not working. You're just going around the mountain. You're going around the mountain. I can't seem to, can't seem to get victory in that. I can't seem to, can't seem to stand up to this relationship or to my job. Or I, I can't seem to ever tithe because I, I you know, I, I just, I just don't have enough. I'm, I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on to that holding on to habits or mindsets or I I want this wound. I I won't forgive this person because I I, I don't know. I'm I'm too afraid. Give it up today. Who would declare and just stand? Stand and raise your hand or just raise your hand and say, God, uh, this is it. And I may be back in this place again tomorrow, but right now, 
As for me and my life, I will serve the Lord and I will give a yes. Who would do that right now? Right now. Stand up. Declare. Declare. I will follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Where would we go anyway? Where would we go? God, this is it. This is my declaration. With my body, with my hand held high, lift that hand. And I know some of you, that is a sacrifice because you may not be feeling good. But you say, God, you are in charge of my health. You are in charge of my life. You are in charge of my hurts. I give it to you, God. Because I can't do this by myself. And I thank you and praise you, God. Take me today. In your heart and mind, say this prayer with me. Lord, take me today into this promised place you have called for me. Into this this destiny, this book you have written for me before the foundations of the earth. Walk me in. Give me victory in the battle over all the ites. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, all the ites coming against me, coming against my place in the promised land. You have declared it, God, and I want it. I want it because it's what you've given me. And I say yes today. Yes. Yes, God, no turning back. No turning back. Father, we worship you and we praise you. And Lord, we stand before your court. And I ask that you recognize every person standing, every person lifting their hand. This bold declaration of desiring you. This bold declaration of saying they want your will in their lives. So, Father, I ask blessing over this, blessing over their decision, and a revealing of your love. We know that until your Son comes again, we will not see perfectly. But, Lord, we can grow in this life to see more and more clearly. So I pray this upon each one standing each one with their arms raised. Meet them where they're at. Flood with the love that you have promised. And just do your will. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' precious name.